Section one of Why Frau Frohmann Raised Her Prices and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicholas Clifford. Why Frau Frohmann Raised Her Prices and Other Stories by Antony Trollope. Part one. Why Frau Frohmann Raised Her Prices. Chapter one. The Brunnenthal Peacock if ever there was a tory upon earth the frau frohmann was a tory for i hold that landed possessions gentle blood a grey-haired butler behind one's chair and adherence to the church of england are not necessarily the distinguishing marks of toryism the frau frohmann was a woman who loved power but who loved to use it for the benefit of those around her or at any rate to think that she so used it she believed in the principles of despotism and paternal government but always on the understanding that she was to be the despot in her heart of hearts she disliked education thinking that it unfitted the minds of her humbler brethren for the duties of their lives she hated indeed all changes changes in costume changes in hours changes in cookery and changes in furniture but of all changes she perhaps hated changes in prices the most gradually there had come over her a melancholy conviction that the world cannot go on altogether unaltered there was she felt a fate in things a necessity which in some dark way within her own mind she connected with the fall of adam and the general imperfection of humanity which demanded changes but they were always changes for the worse and therefore though to those around her she was mostly silent on this matter she was afflicted by a general idea that the world was going towards ruin that all things throve within herself was not sufficient for her comfort for being a good woman with a large heart she was anxious for the welfare not only of herself and of her children but for all that who might come after her at any rate in her own locality thus when she found that there was a tendency to dine at one instead of twelve to wear the same clothes on week-days as on sundays to desire easy chairs and linen that should be bleached absolutely white thoughts as to the failing condition of the world would get the better of her and make her melancholy these traits are perhaps the evidences of the weakness of toryism but then frau frohmann also had all its strength she was thoroughly pervaded by a determination that in so far as in her lay all that had ought to do with herself should be well to do in the world it was a grand ambition in her mind that every creature connected with her establishment from the oldest and most time-honoured guest down to the last stray cat that had taken refuge under her roof should always have enough to eat hunger unsatisfied hunger disagreeable hunger on the part of any dependent of hers would have been a reproach to her her own eating troubled her little or not at all but the cooking of the establishment generally was a great care to her mind in bargaining she was perhaps hard but hard only in getting what she believed to be her own right aristides was not more just of bonds written bonds her neighbours knew not much but her word for twenty miles round was as good as any bond and though she was perhaps a little apt to domineer in her bargains to expect that she should fix the prices and to resent opposition it was only to the strong that she was tyrannical 
the poor sick widow and the little orphan could generally deal with her at their own rates on which occasion she would endeavour to hide her dealings from her own people and would give injunctions to the favoured ones that the details of the transaction should not be made public and then though the frau was i regret to say no better than a papist she was a thoroughly religious woman believing in real truth what she professed to believe and complying as far as she knew how with the ordinances of her creed therefore i say that if there ever was a tory the frau frohmann was one and now it will be well that the reader should see the residence of the frau and learn something of her condition in life in one of the districts of the tyrol lying some miles south of innsbruck between that town and brixen there is a valley called the brunnenthal a most charming spot in which all the delights of scenery may be found without the necessity of climbing up heart-rending mountains or sitting in oily steamboats or paying for greedy guides or riding upon ill-conditioned ponies in this valley frau frohmann kept a hotel called the peacock which however though it was known as an inn and was called by that name could hardly be regarded as a house of common public entertainment its purpose was to afford recreation and comfort to a certain class of customers during the summer months persons well enough to do in the world to escape from their town work and their town residences for a short holiday and desirous during that time of enjoying picturesque scenery good living moderate comfort and some amount of society such institutions have now become so common that there is hardly any one who has not visited or at any rate seen such a place they are to be found in every country in europe and are very common in america our own scotland is full of them but when the peacock was first opened in brunnenthal they were not so general of the husband of the frau there are not many records in the neighbourhood the widow has been a widow for the last twenty years at least and her children, for she has a son and daughter, have no vivid memories of their father. The house, and everything in it, and the adjacent farm, and the right of cutting timber in the forests, and the neighbouring quarry, are all the undoubted property of the Frau, who has a reputation for great wealth. Though her son is perhaps nearly thirty, and is very diligent in the affairs of the establishment, he has no real authority. He is only, as it were, the out-of-doors right hand of his mother, as his sister, who is perhaps five years younger, is an indoors right hand. But they are only hands. The brain, the intelligence, the mind, the will by which the Brunnenthal peacock is conducted and managed, come all from the Frau Frohmann herself. To this day she can hardly endure a suggestion, either from Peter, her son, or from her daughter Amalia, who is known among her friends as Malchen, but is called the Fräulein by the Brunnenthal world at large. A suggestion as to the purchase of things new in their nature she will not stand at all, though she is liberal enough in maintaining the appurtenances of the house generally. But the peacock is more than a house. It is almost a village, and yet every shed, cottage, or barn at or near the place forms a part of the Frau's establishment the centre or main building is a large ordinary house of three stories to the lower of which there is an ascent by some half-dozen stone steps 
covered with red tiles and with gable ends crowded with innumerable windows the ground floor is devoted to kitchens offices the frau's own uses and the needs of the servants on the first story are the two living rooms of the guests the greater and by far the more important being devoted to eating and drinking here at certain hours are collected all the forces of the establishment and especially at one o'clock when with many ringing of bells and great struggles in the culinary department the dinner is served for to the adoption of this hour has the frau at last been driven by the increasing infirmities of the world around her the scenery of the locality is lovely the air is considered to be peculiarly health-compelling the gossipings during the untrammelled idleness of the day are very grateful to those whose lives are generally laborious the love-makings are frequent and no doubt sweet skittles and bowls and draughts and dominoes have their devotees and the smoking of many pipes fills up the vacant hours of the men but at the brunnenthal dinner is the great glory of the day it would be vain for any aesthetical guest who might conceive himself to be superior to the allurements of the table to make little of the frau's dinner such a one had better seek other quarters for his summer's holiday at the brunnenthal peacock it is necessary that you should believe in the paramount importance of dinner not to come to it at the appointed time would create first marvel in the frau's mind then pity as to the state of your health and at last hot anger should it be found that such neglect arose from contempt what muse will assist me to describe these dinners in a few words they were commenced of course by soup real soup not barley broth with a strong prevalence of the barley then would follow the boiled meats from which the soup was supposed to have been made but such boiled meat so good that the supposition must have contained a falsehood with this there would be always potatoes and pickled cabbages and various relishes then there would be two other kinds of meat generally with the accompaniment of stewed fruit after that fish trout from the neighbouring stream for the preservation of which great tanks had been made vegetables with unknown sauces would follow and then would come the roast which consisted always of poultry and was accompanied of course by salad but it was after this that were made the efforts on which the frau's fame most depended the puddings i think were the subject of her greatest struggles and most complete success two puddings daily were by the rules of the house required to be eaten not two puddings brought together so that you might choose with careless haste either one or the other but two separate courses of puddings with an interval between for appreciation for thought and for digestion either one or both can no doubt be declined no absolute punishment such as notice to leave the house follows such abstention but the frau is displeased and when dressed in her best on sundays does not smile on those who abstain after the puddings there is dessert and there are little cakes to nibble if you will they are nibbled very freely but the heat of the battle is over with the second pudding they have a great fame these banquets so that ladies and gentlemen from innsbruck have themselves driven out there to enjoy them the distance each way is from two to three hours so that a pleasant holiday is made by a visit to the frau's establishment 
There is a ramble up to the waterfall, and a smoking of pipes among the rocks, and pleasant opportunities for secret whispers among young people, but the Frau would not be well pleased if it were presumed that the great inducement for the visit were not to be found in the dinner which she provides. In this way, though the guests at the house may not exceed perhaps thirty in number, it will sometimes be the case that nearly twice as many are seated at the board. That the Frau has an eye to profit cannot be doubted. Fond of money she is certainly, fond of prosperity generally. But judging merely from what comes beneath his eye, the observer will be led to suppose that her sole ambition on these occasions is to see the food which she has provided devoured by her guests. A weak stomach, a halting appetite, conscientious scruples as to the over-enjoyment of victuals, restraint in reference to subsequent excesses or subsequent eatings, all these things are a scandal to her. If you can't, or won't, or don't eat your dinner when you get it, you ought not to go to the Brunenthal Peacock. This banqueting-hall, or Speisesaal, occupies a great part of the first floor, but here also is the drawing-room, or reading-room, as it is called, having over the door Lesesaal painted, so that its purpose may not be doubted. But the reading-room is not much, and the guests generally spend their time chiefly out of doors, or in their bedrooms when they are not banqueting. There are two other banquets, breakfast and supper, which need not be specially described, but of the latter it may be said that it is a curtailed dinner, having limited courses of hot meat and only one pudding. On this floor there is a bedroom or two, and a nest of others above, but the accommodation is chiefly afforded in other buildings, of which the one opposite is longer, though not so high, as the central house, and there is another, a little down the road near the mill, and another as far up the stream where the baths have been built, an innovation to which Frau Frohmann did not lend herself without much inward suffering. And there are huge barns and many stables, for the Frau keeps a posting establishment, and a diligence passes the door three times each way in the course of the day and night, and the horses are changed at the peacock, or it was so at any rate in the days of which I am speaking, not very long ago. And there is the blacksmith's forge and the great carpenter's shed, in which not only are the carts and carriages mended, but very much of the house furniture is made. And there is the mill, as has been said before, in which the corn is ground, and three or four cottages for married men, and a pretty little chapel, built by the Frau herself, in which mass is performed by her favourite priest once a month, for the parish chapel is nearly three miles distant if you walk by the mountain path, but is fully five if you have yourself carried round by the coach-road. It must, I think, be many years since the Frau can have walked there, for she is a dame of portly dimensions. Whether the buildings are in themselves picturesque, I will not pretend to say. I doubt whether there has been an attempt that way in regard to any one except the chapel. But chance has so grouped them, and nature has so surrounded them, that you can hardly find anywhere a prettier spot. Behind the house, so as to leave only space for a little meadow, which is always as green as irrigation can make it, a hill rises, not high enough to be called a mountain, which is pine-clad from the foot to the summit. In front and around the ground is broken, but immediately before the door there is a way up to a lateral valley, 
down which comes a nameless stream which just below the house makes its way into the Iville, the little river which runs from the mountains to the inn taking its course through that meadow which lies between the hill and the house it is here a quarter of a mile perhaps up this little stream at a spot which is hidden by many turnings from the road that visitors come upon the waterfall the waterfall which at innsbruck is so often made to be the excuse of these outings which are in truth performed in quest of frau frohmann's dinners below the peacock where the mill is placed the valley is closely confined as the sombre pine forests rise abruptly on each side and here or very little lower is that gloomy or ghost-like pass through the rocks which is called the hellentor a name which i will not translate but it is a narrow ravine very dark in dark weather and at night as black as pitch among the superstitious people of the valley the spot is regarded with the awe which belonged to it in past ages to visitors of the present day it is simply picturesque and sublime above the house the valley spreads itself rising however rapidly and here modern engineering has carried the road in various curves and turns round knolls of hills and spurs of mountains till the traveller as he ascends hardly knows which way he is going from one or two points among these curves the view down upon the peacock with its various appendages with its dark red roofs and many windows glittering in the sun is so charming that the tourist is almost led to think that they must all have been placed as they are with a view to effect the frau herself is what used to be called a personable woman to say that she is handsome would hardly convey a proper idea let the reader suppose a woman of about fifty very tall and of large dimensions it would be unjust to call her fat because though very large she is still symmetrical when she is dressed in her full tyrolese costume which is always the case at a certain hour on sunday and on other stated and by no means unfrequent days as to which i was never quite able to learn the exact rule when she is so dressed her arms are bare down from her shoulders and such arms i never saw on any human being her back is very broad and her bust expansive but her head stands erect upon it as the head of some old juno and in all her motions though i doubt whether she could climb by the mountain path to her parish church she displays a certain stately alertness which forbids one to call her fat her smile when she really means to smile and to show thereby her good will and to be gracious is as sweet as hebe's then it is you see that in her prime she must in truth have been a lovely woman there is at these moments a kindness in her eyes and a playfulness about her mouth which is apt to make you think that you can do what you like with the frau who has not at times been charmed by the frolic playfulness of the tiger not that frau frohmann has aught of the tiger in her nature but its power but the power is all there and not unfrequently the signs of power if she be thwarted contradicted counselled by unauthorized counsellors above all if she be censured then the signs of power are shown then the frau does not smile 
At such times she is wont to speak her mind very plainly, and to make those who hear her understand that, within the precincts and the purlieus of the Brunnenthal Peacock, she is an irresponsible despot. There have been guests there rash enough to find some trifling faults with the comforts provided for them, whose beds perhaps have been too hard, or their towels too limited, or perhaps their hours not agreeably arranged for them. Few, however, have ever done so twice, and they who have so sinned, and have then been told that the next diligence would take them quickly to Innsbruck if they were discontented, have rarely stuck to their complaints and gone. The comforts of the house, and the prices charged, and the general charms of the place have generally prevailed, so that the complainants, sometimes with spoken apologies, have in most cases sought permission to remain. In late years the Frau's certainty of victory has created a feeling that nothing is to be said against the arrangements of the peacock. A displeased guest can exercise his displeasure best by taking himself away in silence. The Frau of late years has had two counsellors, for though she is but ill-inclined to admit advice from those who have received no authority to give it, she is not therefore so self-confident as to feel that she can live and thrive without listening to the wisdom of others and those two counsellors may be regarded as representing the first or elder her conscience and the second and younger her worldly prudence and in the matter of her conscience very much more is concerned than simple honesty it is not against cheating or extortion that her counsellor is sharp to her but rather in regard to those innovations which he and she think to be prejudicial to the manner and life of Brunnenthal, of Innsbruck, of the Tyrol, of the Austrian Empire generally, and indeed of the world at large. To be as her father had been before her, for her father too had kept the peacock, to let life be cheap and simple, but yet very plentiful, as it had been in his days, this was the counsel given by Father Conolin, the old priest, who always spent two nights in each month at the establishment, and was not unfrequently to be seen there on other occasions. He had been opposed to many things which had been effected, that alteration of the hour of dinner, the erection of the bathhouse, the changing of plates at each course, and especially certain notifications and advertisements by which foreigners may have been induced to come to the Brunnenthal. The kaplan, or chaplain as he was called, was particularly averse to strangers, seeming to think that the advantages of the place should be reserved, if not altogether for the Tyrolese, at any rate for the Germans of southern Germany, and was probably of the opinion that no real good could be obtained by harbouring Lutherans but of late english also had come to whom though he was personally very courteous he was much averse in his heart of hearts such had ever been the tendency of his advice and it had always been received with willing nay with loving ears but the fate of the kaplan had been as is the fate of all such counsellors let the toryism of the tory be ever so strong it is his destiny to carry out the purposes of his opponents so it had been, and was, with the Frau. Though she was always in spirit antagonistic to the other counsellor, it was the other counsellor who had prevailed with her. At Innsbruck for many years there had lived a lawyer, or rather a family of lawyers, 
men always of good repute and moderate means named schlessen and in their hands had been reposed by the frau that confidence as to business matters which almost every one in business must have in some lawyer the first schlessen whom the frau had known in her youth and who was then a very old man had been almost as conservative as the priest then had come his son who had been less so but still lived and died without much either of the light of progress or contamination of revolutionary ideas from the outer world but about three years before the date of our tale he had also passed away and now young fritz schlessen sat in the chair of his forefathers it was the opinion of innsbruck generally that the young lawyer was certainly equal probably superior in attainments and intellect to any of his predecessors he had learned his business both at munich and vienna and though he was only twenty-six when he was left to manage his clients himself most of them adhered to him among others so did our frau and this she did knowing the nature of the man and of the counsel she might expect to receive from him for though she loved the priest and loved her old ways and loved to be told that she could live and thrive on the rules by which her father had lived and thriven before her still there was always present to her mind the fact that she was engaged in trade and that the first object of a tradesman must be to make money no shoemaker can set himself to work to make shoes having as his first intention an ambition to make the feet of his customers comfortable that may come second and to him as a conscientious man may be essentially necessary but he sets himself to work to make shoes in order that he may earn a living that law almost the law of nature we may say had become so recognized by the frau that she felt it must be followed even in spite of the priest if need were and that in order that it might be followed it would be well that she should listen to the advice of herr schlessen she heard therefore all that her kaplan would say to her with gracious smiles and something of what her lawyer would say to her not always very graciously but in the long run she would take her lawyer's advice it will have to be told in the following chapter how it was that fritz schlessen had a preponderating influence in the brunnenthal arising from other causes than his professional soundness and general prudence it may however be as well to explain here that peter frohmann the son sided always with the priest and attached himself altogether to the conservative interest but he though he was honest diligent and dutiful to his mother was lumpy uncouth and slow both of speech and action he understood the cutting of timber and the making of hay something perhaps of the care of horses and of the nourishment of pigs but in money matters he was not efficient amalia or malkin the daughter who was four or five years her brother's junior was much brighter and she was strong on the reforming side british money was to her thinking as good as austrian or even tyrolese to thrive even better than her forefathers had thriven seemed to her to be desirable she therefore though by her brightness and feminine ways she was very dear to the priest was generally opposed to him in the family conclaves it was chiefly in consequence of her persistency that the table napkins of the peacock were now changed twice a week End of chapter 1